Hey everyone, welcome back to Blood and Guts. Now, listen, I understand that last week we hit you all with a heavy case. Carla and Paul are literally the worst ever. Um, and that was not an easy case to cover. And that was a real heavy hitter. That was a big one. Um, we gave you a little reprieve with the exorcism of Goat Lieben, but we're going to do another heavy hitter right now. We're just going to keep them coming because with the news that we got about this guy this past week, we got to cover him. We got to cover him right now, right away. Let's just do it. <laughs> um, today we are talking about Joseph James D'Angelo a.k.a. the Golden State Killer. Now, he was just recently, uh, he, he was just, he recently pleaded guilty and was given his sentence, which is so satisfying as someone who, like, watched him get caught in 2018 and then seeing this all come together now and seeing all of his victims come together in, like, seeing this man finally get put away it's incredible and i'm so excited we've got a good episode i did a lot of research i watched a lot of the videos where he looks like a man even though he's not um but here we go i'm excited are you excited i hate this man i hate this man how much do you know about this case I mean, a decent amount, but I don't really learn about stuff that I'm not that interested in. <laughs> He's just, this, this case is like, if it wasn't real, you would think it was a freaking movie because of all of the stuff he did. It was crazy. And we'll talk about some individual cases and I will throw up during it. Well, not really. That'd be terrible audio, but... <laughs> will mentally throw up because of some of the gross stuff that he did anyway we can get started so joseph james d'angelo was born november 8th 1945 in bath new york and now he is born to a u.s army sergeant joseph james daniel d d'angelo senior and kathleen de Groot. Um, he had two younger sisters and a younger brother A relative reported that at 9 or 10 years old, D'Angelo witnessed the horrific rape of his 7-year-old sister Connie by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany where their family was stationed at the time. So already, right off the bat, we've got some serious damage to his psyche right there. Watching someone, two people, rape your sister, I can't even imagine. And of course, at nine or 10 years old, you're not going to know what you're seeing and you're not going to know what to do. But that I like you're allowed to feel bad for children, but don't feel bad for him now. But it's like, oh, my God, I can't even I can't even. So um, later after his conviction, one of his sisters came out and said he that he was abused by his father, which I believe Prosecutors said in his teen years, he committed burglaries and killed animals. So, again, we're starting off just awesome to create just a stellar human being, of course. Um, After high school, he joined the U.S. Navy in September 1964 and served for almost two years in the Vietnam War as a damage controlman on the USS Canberra and USS Piedmont. I don't know what a damage controlman is, but I'm assuming they control damage. Um, 
In August 1968, D'Angelo attended Sierra College in Rockland, California, and graduated with an associate degree in police science with honors. So, yeah, he was a police officer. And while he was a police officer, he was raping people. So just keep that in your head. Um, In May 1970, he became engaged to a classmate, Bonnie Jean Colwell, but she later broke off the engagement. Um, Now, we're going to talk about this a bit later, but a lot of people speculate that things were just not going well in their marriage. Well, obviously, if she broke off the engagement, but... um, it's more that D'Angelo was very violent in his words and maybe in like physically with her. And we'll talk about that more because he actually mentioned something during an attack, which was awful. Um, In 1971, he attended Sacramento state university where he got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. He later took postgraduate courses and further police training and then completed a 32 week police internship at the Roseville police department. From May 1973 to August 1967, he was a burglary unit police officer in Exeter. So um, just to give you a little thing, later he would burgle up to 120 houses. There's no one on this earth that can convince me that that those aren't connected. Because obviously... You're going to take your skills that you learned and apply them to actual burglary. If you learned, if you know what to look for and you know what police officers are going to be searching for, then you already have an advantage. Awful. Um, He then served in Auburn from August 1976 to July 1979 when he was arrested for shoplifting you know, your average everyday things, um, a hammer and dog repellent. He was sentenced to six months probation and fired that October. Now, I didn't, I didn't know dog repellent was a thing, but that makes so much sense if you're a burglar to get dog repellent. Because a lot of people, like in my criminology course that I took, if you have, like, they, someone interviewed, like, a former thief, and he was like, if you have a beware of dog sign, I will not go in your house. They don't want anything to do with dogs, which I can understand. Um, November 1973, he married Sharon Marie Huddle, with whom he had three daughters, before Sharon filed for divorce in July 2018 and got divorced in 2019. Um, just for perspective, um, he was arrested in April 2018, so... I can understand why Miss Sharon would want a divorce. His brother-in-law said that D'Angelo casually brought up the East Area Rapist in conversation around the time of the original crimes. Um, Just casually in conversation. Hey, have you heard of the East Area Rapist? What's going on? Have you heard of him? Do you know him? Do you, have you, have you, have you seen any, any, just anything about the East Area Rapist? Because this dude was obsessed with people knowing what he did. And it was awful because he did the stupid Zodiac thing where he sent in a letter, like letters to thing to newspapers. And he was obsessed with people knowing him and knowing his name. And so obviously he's going to be like, have you heard the East Area Rapist? Yeah. He also had a lot of names, which I hate when people give them names. So neighbors said he would frequently have loud, profane 
outbursts. Um, so these neighbors are hearing him just yelling and all this stuff, which throws back to his first engagement where he, um, he she broke it off. Um, one neighbor said that his family received a phone message from him threatening to, quote, deliver a load of death because of their barking dog. So a dog is barking. And because of that, he must deliver a load of a load of death. I mean, I don't see why that's such a big deal, sir. <laughs> Some people are just like that. Some I, could na- I could name two people over the age of, like, 50. Where, like, <laughs> if your dog barks, I will whip out my gun and threaten you on the porch of your own home. That's like other people with like children that's like me with a child that's crying i'm just be like okay shut up disclaimer sarah's not going to draw a gun uh, no i would never child. do that but i would be i would give you a i would give you a i would give you a look i'd be like she, she would give you a stern talking to i would i would an angrily worded email <laughs> i would excuse me sir or madam i am displeased <laughs> by your offspring please remove it from the premises immediately or i will unleash a load of death onto your home yeah i would do that yeah yes that means i will contact the neighborhood <laughs> they will take your child yeah uh, yeah anyway that... thro- i'm imagining you trying to leave like threatening notes like I don't know, you just slip under the door and they open it and it's like, I'm taking your child to the pound. And they're like, oh I don't know what they're God. I would never do that. I would be like, hey, maybe no. don't bring your child. I would be so nervous. <laughs> You'd literally be like, I'm going to give up a stern talking to. And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. So that was his early life. Like I that, forgot what we were talking about. I was so... <laughs> yeah, that was his early life. There's not much to banter about in his early life because, to my knowledge, nothing really happened serial killer wise. It seemed like he had a pretty okay thing. Absolute it didn't... mood. That's it... me writing my autobiography. First yeah. chapter, early life, nothing much going on. Yeah. End of chapter. I I mean, it wasn't crazy. Like it didn't seem crazy. Obviously, he witnessed this horrific rape. It said that his father abused him. I couldn't find much about this. And I couldn't find much about killing animals or, or burglaries in his teen years. All, all we know is that he was a police officer and he used his training as a, in the burglary unit to burgle up to 120 houses. So, a cab. Um... <laughs> Maybe, like, at this time, California was the United States. It was, like, in the same way that, like, what Florida is now. Yeah. Like, maybe, like, if you're just from California at this time, people were like, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of yeah. course Pol- he did this. Where was he from? Cal. Oh. Dumb. Yeah. Police, police in the yeah. 70s were just awful. Uh, yeah, police officer from California in the burglary unit. I'm sure people were like, okay. 
All right. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about his MO. Um, I don't have much. I'm not, I am not going to sit here and go through every single rape he committed because he committed around 50. I'm not going to go through all of that. I'm going to go through his general MO. This is where it's going to get a bit gnarly. So <laughs> just hang in there. Um, he focused mainly on young women and teenagers as young as 13. His MO was to stalk middle-class neighborhoods at night in search of women who were alone in one-story homes, usually near a school, a creek, a trail, or another escape route. Um, he was seen a number of times because he's an idiot. And one time was shot and seriously, oh, not him. One, I, I can't read my writing. And one time shot and seriously wounded a pursuer of him. So most victims had seen or heard someone on their property before the attacks and many had experienced break-ins because this guy used to sit there and scope out their house, leave tools around their house, break into their house before he would rape them to know the layout of their house. He was a stalker. He was a pervert. This dude was insane. One, very creepy. Two, a man being so bad at stealth that you're, <laughs> you know what would be so under the radar let me just whip out my gun and mm-hmm. shoot this dude yeah <laughs> it was like, okay this yeah so inconspicuous no one is gonna be like that dude could commit more crimes let me just mm-hmm. go pew pew like yeah yeah he on very fast no, he, 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 he used a bike oftentimes, which I can't imagine him. <laughs> yeah. He, no. What? Biker man. Oh, God. Imagine him rolling up to you, like, with his gun. <laughs> like, imagine that form of a drive-by shooting. It would be awful. On his little, on his little bicycle. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Bicycle rapist man. Yeah, but it wasn't his own bike. He would steal bikes. So you know some child is probably like, what happened to my bike? No, with the I, little I, horns and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I okay. I would travel back in time. <laughs> what? Just, just to make sure that he died on his bike. Just <laughs> okay. to be like the guy you're looking for. That's him over there on the sparkly pink bike with the. Mm-hmm. With the tassels on the handlebars? Mm-hmm. That's him. Yeah. Like an idiot. He he entered the homes of future victims, like I said, to unlock windows, unload guns, and plant ligatures and weapons for future use. He would sometimes frequently call victims, sometimes months in advance to learn their routines. He would say, like, or I don't I don't remember what the exact word timeline is but a lot of there's a lot of audio of him i'm sure you can find it somewhere um he you know um he would be like i'm gonna kill you or whatever and it would be awful 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 um which it's this reminds me and i'm gonna talk about this movie again genesis knows that i love this movie and i just watched it but side tangent there's a movie out there called bad samaritan it's fantastic. You should watch it. It's probably one of the best thrillers I've ever seen in my life. But I was watching it with my parents and they actually were like, I can't watch this because one of the things in the movie and how this dude finds this girl chained up in someone's house 
is that they go take their cars because they run a valet service and literally just go in their house and scope around and steal things, which that's terrifying. If you think like they, they found their houses because you have it on your, in your car. Like that's terrifying to just imagine someone being in your house, but not necessarily doing anything crazy. It's awful. But anyway, go watch that movie. It's really good. It has David Tennant in it. I love David Tennant. It also has Robert Sheehan. I love him too. It's so good. But that's terrifying to think of someone just understand, like knowing everything about you and just being in your house when you're not there. It's awful. Although he originally targeted solitary women, he eventually started to target couples. His method was to break in through a window or sliding glass door, which God knows he probably went in and unlocked earlier. Um, and wake up the occupants of the house while they were asleep by shining a flashlight in their face and sometimes threatening them with a handgun. I know I say you can't imagine a lot in this in this like podcast but try to sit there you're sleeping you're in bed you know how groggy you are when you first wake up there imagine someone shining a flashlight in your face with a handgun that's awful i would also like to know what his like next step is because i know several people who wouldn't wake up if he fired the handgun, let alone <laughs> Sorry. a flashlight. So, like, I just want to know what the next step would be. Like, what if he's there, shining his little light, and he, like, has his gun ready to be, like, all threatening, and they just straight up do not wake up. Well, like, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell I'll tell you what his next move remember, was to be. I know, I know what his next move is. But, like, also just imagine... That, like, if he was any less dedicated to what he was doing, imagine him being like, I mean, I guess I'll just, <laughs> guess I'll just go. Yeah. Well, victims were often then bound with ligatures, often shoelaces, because he loved shoelaces, um, which he found, brought with him, or previously placed. Blindfolded. Yeah, blindfolded and gagged with towels, which he had ripped into strips. It said he would often speak to victims through gritted teeth, um, which people would describe as, like, this a funny cartoon voice because he's an idiot. It would be, like... God, that's like, that's like being threatened by Goofy, who smoked for maybe, like, 60 years. Yeah. Sorry. I was drinking water, but I was like, oh my god, you're so right. Like, I am by no means making fun of how terrifying this must have actually been, but, like, when you break it down into straightforward facts... We gotta have some palate cleansers in here. (laughs) Just just in the sense of, like, this could only have gone down at that time period. Yeah. Like, him trying that now would absolutely... He would die of humiliation. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you know he'd be like... (laughs) Put your hands together. They'd be like, oh, piss baby, really? You think I'm gonna, come on now. Come on, get your bike and get out of here. Like, he would perish. Yeah. And I would be fine with it. Uh, He could die, honestly, any any day now. He's so freaking old. But also, he's very, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it. We'll talk about him later, or now. So, 
Um, the female victim was usually forced to tie up the male victim before she herself was tied up. The bindings were so tight that the victim's hands were numb for hours after being untied, which, ew. Um, he separated the couple and would often stack dishes on the man's back and threaten to kill everyone in the entire house if he heard them rattle. I, so you're sat there and you're torn between two things. This man's like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my wife? But if I move, he could kill her. It's like, what do you even do in that situation where it's like, this is what I say. This is like a movie. Like no one does this. It's, ew. Um, he moved the woman to the living room and often raped her like repeatedly, sometimes for several hours. But get this, um, this piece of pond scum would sometimes spend hours in the home, ransacking closets and drawers, eating food from the kitchen, drinking beer, raping the woman again, or making additional threats. So he would literally, like, rape her two times and then go, like, eat something and then come back. When I tell you this man is evil... I, like, how, I don't understand how someone is capable of this. It's just awful. Um, Victims, I can't speak. Victims sometimes thought he had left before he, quote, jumped from the darkness. So people would be like, oh my God, I'm finally safe. And then this man would jump out from nowhere. I... This is so unreal. He would steal items, often personal objects, you know, like wedding rings and stuff like that and things of little value. But occasionally he would steal money and firearms. He then left quietly, often leaving victims uncertain if he was gone. Now, that's pretty much his M.O. for the rapes. I'm going to talk about the murders in a second, but that was his M.O. for the rapes. Um, now we're going to talk about, I picked out some, um, some, no, I don't want to say key, but like some outstanding and not outstanding in the way, like incredible, but the, these just stood out. These stories stood out to me, um, of him, certain stories of him going in and attacking people. Um, so the first victim ever was woken up by D'Angelo calling her by her name which is already makes me want to throw up um he was <laughs> completely pantsless in her doorway tapping it with a knife i can't make this up he's just sitting there complete like no pants like first of all sir what put some pants on second of all tapping it with a knife calling her by her name while she's sleeping absolutely not kill me now no way that's he's not real he's i can't even believe that happened if if like that's how you know because like if the victim told the story which i'm assuming she did that's how you know that she's not making this up or no that's not what i meant to say it would i would have I would almost assume that people wouldn't believe her because it sounds so theatrical and out of proportion. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Because that, it's like, how can, that doesn't happen. People don't do that. Anyway. Um, during one encounter, he had assaulted a woman in the house several times. And like I said, stopped to make himself a sandwich. The victim's six-year-old daughter woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and saw D'Angelo. So she literally woke up and saw this random man in her house just eating a sandwich. He said, quote, I'm playing a game with your parents. Want to help? <laughs> can't, I can't make this up. This is awful. Um, this girl's my hero because she looked at him, went to the bathroom, and went back to bed. <laughs> she was completely unharmed. Which, thank God, but that girl's literally my hero. She's like, huh? <laughs> and then just went back to bed. Which, good on her, honestly. I, oh, I can't. I can't. Um, so, this is where this dude gets theatrical and just becomes unreal and awful. Um, so multiple people reported he act like an addict and asked for pills or money, but they, they said it was like too dramatic to be real. So he's coming in, he's be like, Oh my God, I need my fix. I need pills. I need something. Do you have pills or money or pill for pills or drugs or whatever? But people are like, um, what <laughs> addicts don't act like this. Um, on one occasion, after breaking into a teenage girl's house and assaulting her and allegedly her sister, he asked them where the doctor's pills were because he knew their dad was a doctor. He's a stalker. He looks up these people beforehand and it's terrifying. Um, he then found them. He found the pills, took them into the other room, shook the bottle, ran the faucet, all of those stupid theatrical things. He probably literally shook the bottle like a maraca to be like, I'm an addict. Tell the police I'm an addict so they don't know that I'm actually not an addict. <laughs> he's probably like, he probably like turned the faucet and like splashed it or whatever because he's an idiot. So he, <laughs> those pills that he made such a big to do about taking were later found in the neighbor's garbage. <laughs> I, I just, I have to laugh because he's such an idiot. He also tried to mimic schizophrenia by doing things like crying in the middle of an assault and like calling for his mommy which is awful. Like, he just tried all these stupid theatrical things because he wanted to throw the police off his trail and he wanted to be memorable or whatever. Um, and this is where we're going to come back to his first engagement because a lot of people were saying that when he did this, they heard Bonnie and not Mommy. So he'd be like, I hate you, Bonnie. And that is what led people to believe that their engagement was a toxic one, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, this one messed me up. This one, this one had me like with my mouth open, just staring at the screen, reading this. When attacking one couple, he was, um, he was removing the bullets from a handgun in the house. When, the man reached for the gun. D'Angelo shined his flashlight on the bullets 
which were in his hands. I, I literally feel sick reading that. That's, again, something out of a freaking horror movie. It'd be like some, stu- like the scary music or whatever. And he like slowly shines this flashlight on the bullet. So the man knows like he it wouldn't even work if he had the gun anyway. And some like stupid smile on the killer's face, which is, it's so terrifying. I we can't, I I don't I it's I don't even want to talk about that one. That one's terrible. Okay. So at this point, a lot of rapes had occurred and a lot of attacks had occurred. The community was on edge. Women were being told not to stay home alone, you know, have people in the house and all this stuff. And they called for a town hall meeting. Now, during this meeting, a man stands up and says, you know, he can't understand how this man is doing, or how this rapist is doing it. Um, He doesn't understand why people are, like, getting attacked. And he says, if the rapist were to come into his house, he would kill him, basically, is what he said. Well, I'm sure you can guess what happens next, because um, D'Angelo was at that meeting, probably sitting there in the back, basking and all these people talking about him because he's such a freaking narcissist he followed the couple home and attacked the couple that night (laughs) I can't I can't with this man he in total committed 50 rapes in and around Sacramento County from 1976 to 1979 At this point, he was dubbed the East Area Rapist. Um, Earlier, earlier when he was burgling people, I think he was called like the Vasilia Ransacker or some ransacker at some point. Like I said, he got a lot of names, Um, but he was this was the East Area Rapist. Now, (laughs) in December 1977, someone claiming to be the East Area Rapist sent a poem to the Sacramento B, the Sacramento mayor's office and the TV station K-V-I-E. I don't know if that's supposed to be pronounced Kiwi, but that's what the TV station was called. Titled <laughs> Excitement's Crave. So this dude sat in his little desk or whatever, writing down this poem, his, his, his manifesto or whatever. I can't. And he, this is such a dramatic poem. And it's like, settle down so now let's read excitement's crave shall we all these mortals surviving birth upon facing maturity take inventory of their worth to prevailing society choosing values becomes a task oneself must seek satisfaction the selected route will unmask character when plans take action Accepting some work to perform at fixed pay but promise for more is a recognized social norm, as is decorum seeking lore. Achieving while others lifting should be cause for deserving fame. Leisure tempts excitement seeking. What's right and expected seems tame. Jesse James has been seen by all and son of Sam has an author. Others now feel temptation's call, 
Sacramento should make an offer. To make a movie of my life that will pay for my planned exile. Just now, I'd like to add the wife of a mafia lord to my file. Your East Area Rapist, Undeserving Pest. See you in the press or on TV. (laughs) Any comments on that, really? (laughs) I have have to laugh because he sat here and he was was like, no, that doesn't sound good. He's rhyming maturity with society. He's like, why does no one have a book about me yet? Any thoughts on that? I, none, really. It's, <laughs> it's hard to form thoughts when that has the same energy as, like, when that one fifth grader talks who just <laughs> learns their biggest word in the dictionary, mm-hmm. who uses it every sentence, even though it's not correct. I I can't let me like let me set the scene it's like you're talking to this like I don't even know how old people are at that time (laughs) let's just be like imagine you go up to like a seven-year-old and you're like okay like I know how you kind of talk however this seven-year-old is different in his mind he is a genius because he has recently encountered the word fortitude but instead <laughs> uses it everywhere because he is a mastermind. <laughs> you go up to him and you say, how are you doing, child? And he goes, oh, I am fortitude. <laughs> with, with, with the full confidence of me mispronouncing Hermione's name for years after reading Harry Potter. <laughs> Everyone's saying Hermione. <laughs> I didn't even do it. People had like an alternate pronunciation. My brain just skipped it. I was like, nope. <laughs> I it just it just drew a blank to the point where I figured out how to say it. They were like, "How did you think?" And I was like, "No, no think. Head empty. <laughs> no think." I... But that's that is my gut reaction to that. <laughs> It is it is simply head empty. No think. No think. Secondhand embarrassment. But this this prick is trying to be you know he took he took something from other killers because he's like Jesse James, son of Sam, you know, why doesn't anybody why doesn't anybody make a movie about me? Why don't I have a book yet? When? Like wh- this is the plot of the Incredibles. <laughs> but whatever the opposite word of incredible is. Yeah. And the, I can't the even. The mediocres. The mediocres. But he would spell it mediocres. <laughs> That's his book. Honestly, other than the last couple lines, I don't even know what he's trying to say. And I don't even care to try to. I hate poetry. I just don't understand it. Because I can not never. poetry. It wasn't poetry, but he called it a poem, so I'm just going to loop it under that. Technically, you wouldn't make anything and call it a poem. Just poems don't have to rhyme, but I... Also, he he used, like, ten different rhythms in his 
in his yeah, like, so-called like poem. When you get, I'm like, like when huh? you get going, he switches it around. You're like, mm. it's <laughs> I like so. I'm like, huh? yeah. He says this the remix. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the murders. We're going to get back to some serious stuff. Um, so he committed, I think, five murders. More than five people were murdered, but he committed five murders in total, I think. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right. Well, there's eight. But I, oh my God. <laughs> I tried. I tried. I thought for some reason he committed five. All right. Never mind. There's eight. Okay. So February 2nd, 1978. Brian and Kate, now the Italian in me wants to say Maggiore. It could be Maggiore or Maggiori or Maggiore. I'm not sure, but I'm going to go with Maggiore. So they were walking their dog in the area, the East Area rapes occurred. They fled after they were confronted by D'Angelo on the street, but were chased down and shot dead. So this one... I don't, I don't want to take away from this murder, but this one almost wasn't part of the group because he didn't go in their house and everything. And I honestly don't even know his thought process. Did he just, like, go up in the street and start chasing them? Because obviously that's smart because you're not going to get seen like idiot, of course. Like, I don't understand what his thought process was there. Like, what was he going to do? Anyway. October 1st, 1979, an intruder broke in and tied up a couple in Goleta, which is a county of Santa Barbara. Um, The man and woman tried to escape the room after they heard him say, I'll kill him, to himself. They made an attempt when D'Angelo left the room and the woman screamed. Now, he fled when she screamed because, like, the alarm bell had been raised and people were going to come, um... So a neighbor who was actually an FBI agent responded to the noise and pursued him. Um, now D'Angelo had since <laughs> abandoned the bicycle he had fled on and a knife. So he's just, you know, throwing everything and he began to run on foot. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just, it is funny because he's like, <laughs> I, <laughs> which I feel like we're allowed to, to laugh at him without taking away from the terrible things that he did because he, people laugh at him now Man. the survivors laugh at him now he hit that dismount and just kept down <laughs> yeah everyone makes fun of him um the attack was later linked to this next murder through shoe prints and the twine used to bind the victims so um so this so in that one just to be clear no one was killed it was a completely botched murder um, and I, the February 2nd one, what people were shot dead, but it was botched because obviously he didn't want to, he didn't want to shoot them because shooting wasn't his MO. So people think that the next couple murders, like purposeful murder to occur, murders occurred because these first two were so botched and he got angry. So December 30th, 1979. 44-year-old Robert Offerman and 35-year-old Deborah Manning were found shot to death at Offerman's condo in Santa Barbara. Offerman's bindings were untied, indicating that he had tried to fight back. Neighbors heard the gunshots, but of course didn't call anyone. Now, this is weird. Paw prints of a large dog were found on the scene. Um, And I'm assuming that the people that um, Offerman and Manning didn't have a dog because the source that I found it from 
said um, implying that D'Angelo brought one with him, which is weird because wouldn't you want to not bring a dog? It's, I don't, I don't know, but that was just weird to me. Um, he also, he also broke into a vacant adjoining residence and stole a bike, which was later found abandoned on a street north of the scene. <laughs> so, March 13th, 1980, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith were found murdered in their home. Charlene was raped. A log from the wood pile on the side of the house had been used to bludgeon them to death unimaginable right there to be beaten to death with a log oh my god their wrists and ankles had been bound with drapery cord a chinese diamond knot had been used on charlene's wrists which was the same knot used in the sacramento and east area rapist attacks so uh, the medium then dubbed d'angelo the diamond knot killer which is much cooler than the golden state killer but again we shouldn't give names (laughs) but but if we are that one's a lot better. Um, August 19th, 1980. 24-year-old Keith Harrington and 27-year-old Patrice Harrington were found bludgeoned to death in their home. Patrice had, of course, been raped. There was evidence that her wrists had been bound, but no ligatures or murder weapons were found at the scene. Later, um, this is awesome, Keith's older brother, Bruce, spent nearly $2 million supporting California Proposition 69, which mandates prisoner DNA collection into a database, which is how the Golden State Killer was caught, which that's fantastic. Um, February 6th, 1981, 28-year-old Manuela Witoon was raped and murdered in her house. Her body had signs of being um, bound before she was bludgeoned to death, but again, no ligatures or murder weapons were found. She was married, but her husband was in the hospital at the time of the attack. So she was home alone, which can you imagine the survivor's guilt that he has? Awful. Her television was found in her backyard, which could have been D'Angelo's dumb attempt to make it look like a botched robbery because he's stupid. Um, anyway, July 27th, 1989. 35-year-old Sherry Domingo and 27-year-old Gregory Sanchez were attacked in Domingo's house in Galetta. D'Angelo entered through a small bathroom window. Sanchez tried to tackle D'Angelo but was shot and wounded in the cheek before he was bludgeoned to death with a gardening tool. Domingo was raped and bludgeoned. Bruises on her wrists and ankles indicated that she had been tied and the restraints were again missing. So I don't know if he's keeping these things for some, like, trophy aspect or whatever or if he's throwing them away a different place but they're gone now we're at the last murder may 4th 1986 18 year old janelle cruz was found raped and bludgeoned to death in her home her family was on vacation to mexico at the time of the attack a pipe wrench was thought to be the murder weapon This is, this is a hard, this is a hard one. Okay. So we're done with murders. We're going to talk about the profile. So physical characteristics, um, 
so we have some physical characteristics that were considered fact based on crime scene evidence and witness statements. So they were looking for a white male, five to 10 feet, slender, athletic build, size nine to nine and a half shoe, type A blood, um, and uh, a non-secretor, which basically means the sperm does not contain blood group antigens. Um, they know this because he left so much DNA <laughs> um, and physically agile. So we have also some probable characteristics um, like age and stuff like that, um, which is hard to predict. So they thought he was 18 to 25 years old when the rapes began and 60 or to 70 um, in 2018. Due to the fact that microscopic paint chips were found at three crime scenes, this suggested that the killer may have worked in construction, possibly using a paint spray gun. I don't know if D'Angelo worked in a construction or anything, but uh, there were paint chips found. So now um, we have a psychological profile. (laughs) Emotional age equivalent to 26 to 30 years old at the time of the murders. He engaged in paraphilic behavior and brutal sex in his personal life. He engaged in sex with prostitutes. Also, this is not, I'm saying he did, but this is just what they think. Um, Engaged in sex with prostitutes. Had knowledge of police investigative methods and evidence gathering techniques, which, yes, he did. Um, Sexually functional with consenting and non-consenting partners, which basically means he can reach climax with both consenting and non-consenting partners. Um, He dressed well and would blend in in upscale neighborhoods, uh, lived or worked near Ventura, California in 1980, which he did. Um, Good physical condition, uh, condition, condition, a skilled burglar and may have begun as such. Also correct. Had a criminal record as a teenager, which was expunged. Also correct. Some means of income, but did not work in the early morning hours because a lot of these rapes took place in like early, early morning hated women for actual or perceived wrongs um intelligent and articulate neat and well organized in his personal life and drove a well-maintained car peeped in the in the windows of many people who were not attacked self-assured in confidence um now they suspected that the killer may have been incarcerated after janelle cruz's murder or killed um and may have committed suicide but unlikely to be confined in a mental institution Um, Which I don't really know. I couldn't find much on why he just stopped murdering. I don't know why he did that. Um, It'll be interesting to see what he says, I'm assuming. So, let's talk about arrest. This is where we get the satisfying part. So, good is coming. (laughs) Um, The original Night Stalker in the East Area Rapist, which, by the way, he was called the original Night Stalker when he was murdering. Which... I don't, why original Night Stalker? Do we know if Richard Ramirez was after or before this? I don't remember when he was active. I don't remember. Um, so the original Night Stalker and the East Area Rapist, they were linked in 2001. So people are like, yep, they're the same person. On June 15th, 2016, the FBI released new composite sketches and crime details and a $50,000 reward. The most viable clue left was the killer's DNA from Ventura County where Lyman and Charlene Smith were murdered. So, a police lab converted the sample into a format that could be used by online open access DNA databases that can reach for familial relations when comparing DNA markers. 
So investigator Paul Holes, who obtained the DNA sample, used repository um, used a repository called GED Match to conduct his analysis, and the results included about a dozen different DNA profiles that dis- that distantly related to the offender's sample. Utilizing Ancestry.com tools, um, and also I just want to put out there that it was confirmed that Ancestry.com and 23andMe were not the websites that connected him. They were not. Your information is safe with them. Um, So using the tools from Ancestry.com, though, Holes and others were able to create two dozen family trees which amounted to over 10,000 different suspects so they they were they were doing the thing like they were doing it after researching further there were only a few viable suspects which were eventually eliminated now april 16th 2018 law enforcement obtained dna from an item discarded from joseph james d'angelo who was 72 at the time so probably like something stupid like a drink or like a like a drink or like a cigarette butt or something stupid like that because a lot of people don't realize this but once you put your garbage out on the curb it is public domain police can confiscate it without like a warrant or anything and it was really interesting because when I went to I visited our our FBI branch in um, our area and they were they had actually picked up this person's trash and was putting together like mail because this dude was apparently running a, an illegal like pharmacy from his house or whatever. And it was crazy because that was garbage laying on the floor, but it was so, so important to the investigation. So if you got like, that's public domain. It's like, you can't take it back. So <laughs> April 23rd, his tests came back. And showed several markers within a 100% match for Joseph James D'Angelo. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Department immediately began surveillance on him. And a 40-page arrest warrant was signed. On April 24th, 2018, D'Angelo was arrested at his home. He was held on warrant and after a seven-hour interrogation session, he was Booked on April 25th, 2018. He was eventually charged by Ventura and Sacramento County for the murders of Lyman and Charlene Smith. Two counts of murder in the first degree with three special circumstances, which were um, murder during commission of rape, murder during commission of burglary, and multiple murders. He was also charged with two counts of murder with special circumstances in Sacramento County for the murder of Brian and Katie Majore. So all of these individual counties are charging him. So he's, this is all piling up on him now. Orange County filed four murder charges on him for Keith and Patrice Harrington, Manuela Watoon, and Janelle Cruz. A press conference was held later that day on April 25th, which weirdly happened to be National DNA Day. So funny how the world works. This, <laughs> he later asked the court to prevent the prosecution from taking further DNA samples for him. And the judge said, nope, you can have anything you want. If you don't have a DNA sample of him, like if your county doesn't have a DNA sample of him on file, we'll get you a DNA sample. You can compare it. Like we'll get it for you. Um, And also he was asked to pose for nude photos. Genesis. 
Do you know why he was asked to pose for nude photos? I do, but do tell. (laughs) Because victims... Well, hold on. He was specifically asked to pose for nude photos because they were looking for a physical abnormality, which was present in all of the victims' statements. Um, The victims were like, yeah, he had a micro penis. (laughs) So they're like... You can, you, we'll have him pose for as many nude photos as you want to confirm this physical abnormality, this, this terrible abnormality that he's affected with. (laughs) Oh, I love when this kind of justice gets served. (laughs) So then Santa Barbara County charged him with first degree murder for Robert Offerman, Deborah Manning, Sherry Domingo, and Gregory Sanchez with special circumstances. Um, so lots of other small hearings went on, you know, regarding technicalities and a lot had to be postponed because of COVID, because again, this is occurring like now you can see the, all the technicalities. I got a lot of information from golden state killer trial.com. They have a lot of good information and a lot of good resources. Um, they have all the information you could ever want on this case. Um, so on June 29th, 2020, D'Angelo entered a guilty plea for 13 homicides, 13 counts of kidnapping with intent to rob, and admitted to dozens of other rapes and offenses. I would like to real quick play an audio clip of his gross, wrinkly face saying guilty to all of these things. I'm not going to go through all of them because we'll be here for 10 hours because he tried to play a weak old man and was like, I can't speak, but I'm going to play a quick clip real quick. Um, if the audio turns out bad for this, because I'm going to play it off my computer right now, I'll make it better. And I'll make it better in post. Acted willfully, deliberately, and with premeditation when you unlawfully and with malice of forethought murdered Deborah Manning, which occurred December 30th, 1979, in the county of Santa Barbara, a violation of Penal Code Section 187, Print A, murder in the first degree, that charge, sir, how do you plead? Guilty. There's also an allegation that you personally used a firearm in the course of that murder, a violation of Penal Code Section 12022.5. Do you admit or deny that allegation? I admit. Yay. <laughs> There is literally a four minute or not. uh, There's four minutes somewhere else, but you can go in and sit there and watch this stupid, ugly piece of just this tumor on the face of the earth sitting there and saying guilty to all of his crimes. And it's the best thing I've ever watched in my life. I highly encourage you to go and watch it. Um, Was that audio okay at all? (laughs) It sounded okay. Okay. I, it's, it was incredible to sit there and listen to him have to answer to every single thing that he did. Okay. So you heard his stupid voice. He was in a wheelchair during that hearing because he tried to act like an old man that's too weak to do anything Um, but prosecutor said, oh no, 
he has a history of playing a weak old man. And he was actually extremely active the week before his arrest. Um, and he was actually caught exercising after, like in, in his jail cell after he was sentenced. So this man is not weak. He's not sick. He may be old, but this little game that he's playing and this face that he's putting on is not, it's, it's not, it's just, it's an act. That's all it is. So after his sentencing, he said he listened to all of the, he's like, I listened to all of the victim impact statements and I am sorry. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. (laughs) He, and oh yeah, by the way, this was a different hearing. Yeah. He was standing during that. No problem. Didn't have a wheelchair. Of course. So Judge Michael Bowman responded that although approving the plea deal for no death penalty, the state was not saying he did not deserve the death penalty. So he's like, yeah, I understand that we said no death penalty, but you totally should be getting the death penalty. He said D'Angelo should die in prison with no mercy from his jailers, which... I love when judges make comments about this. It's so great. So I'm going to read you some quotes from the judge. Um, when a person co- omit, oh, I can't read. When a person commits monstrous acts, they need to be locked away so they can never harm an innocent person. Their impact statements will always be with me. And he's saying the victim impact statements. I was moved by their grace. Qualities you clearly lack. <laughs> Which, get them. <laughs> So on August 21st, 2020, he was given the maximum sentence, which was 11 consecutive life sentences without the possibility for parole and another life sentence with extra years on top of it. He will never, ever see the light of day again. Thank God. (laughs) And you think I'm done. I'm not. I have more. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't I don't have that much more, but I wanted to end on some victim statements. Um, And I wanted to talk about the victims that are doing incredible things right now. Um, So obviously we can't talk about the Golden State Killer without mentioning Michelle, um, Michelle, Michelle McNamara, who wrote the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Um, She wrote a lot of it, but unfortunately she passed away before it was fully finished. So her husband, who is, um, is actually Patton Oswalt. I didn't know that he is a, he produced the Goldberg, the Goldbergs, like that show and stuff like that. Um, he finished it for her. He added a title and I believe it's getting a series now on, I, I don't know what channel it is, but I believe it's getting like a documentary series. Um, she was incredible with the work she did in this book. She connected so many things. She coined the term or helped coin the term golden state killer. Um, and she's just an incredible human being. Um, she, at now, the title actually comes from something that the Golden State Killer said, which is so chilling. Um, he said, quote, don't move or you'll be silent forever and I'll be gone in the dark. Which I, that is, it's, I can see in a movie that, that line being uttered. Because, you know, when you're watching a horror movie, you're you're go- you're gonna sit there and be like, "Whoa, that killer's so cool," because you know he's not real, and you and movies just make their villains out to be clever 
and some movies make their villains like likable and stuff like that and you know it's not real so it's okay to be like whoa that was a clever line whoa that was a cool scene and of course if this if that line was in a movie you'd be like whoa that was crazy but the fact that that was uttered by a human is awful um, next we have, um, last, last part, um, is Jane Carson Sandler, who's an incredible, incredible woman. Um, so I'm going to talk briefly about her attack. Um, so her attack happened on October 5th, 1976, after her husband left for work around like 6.30 a.m. Her three-year-old came into her room and got into bed with her. Um, Her husband had been gone a total of 10 minutes before she heard a light switch off and footsteps in the hallway of her house. When she looked at the bedroom door, she saw a masked Joseph D'Angelo. D'Angelo told her to shut up and that he wanted her money and he wouldn't hurt her. She hugged her and begged him not, um, oh, sorry. She hugged her son and begged him not to hurt them, but to take their money and leave them alone. D'Angelo told her he had a knife, and when she kept pleading, he told her to shut up again or he would use the knife on her. He tied her hands behind her back with shoelaces as well as her ankles and blindfolded her. He confirmed he did have a knife by sticking it on different parts of her body. After tying her up, he began to rummage through some drawers in different parts of the house. When he returned to the bedroom, um, Sandler heard fabric being ripped, which D'Angelo then used to tie up her son, who he then moved off the bed and away from her which I can't imagine when you're in that situation, a mother having their son taken from her and not being able to see him. When she continued to beg for their safety, he stuffed a washcloth in her mouth and um, trigger warning, it's going to get really gross um, and approached her telling her to play with his penis. He then sexually assaulted and raped her during the rape. D'Angelo asked her if it felt like the captains and she looked good in the club which I don't know what the second part means, but um, her husband was a captain in the military, which how, how dare he say something like that, but how dare he do any of this really? Um, after she heard him leave, she hopped while still bound to a neighbor's house and got some help, which like that is a boss move right there to be able to go on and keep like getting help and stuff. Now, when, <laughs> I want to laugh at this and I want you all to hear this. Um, when attorney Amy Holiday noted that a majority of victims said he had a small penis, Sandler stood up and gave a big thumbs up as the entire audience sat there and laughed at him. So, and they cut it out uh, um, in the, they cut out a bit of it in the audio, but this is, there's a video online of her here just giving a big thumbs up and the entire audience sitting there and laughing at him. And it's incredible. Um, so, um, I'm going to end with some quotes from her. 44 years. I've been waiting for him to plead guilty. That's a long time, 44 years, but I went from being a victim to a survivor to a thriver. You have to do something with this horrible crime that's been committed against you. You can't let it destroy your life. Life is too beautiful. Life is too good. Life is too precious. So you've got to move on, reach out, and help other women who have been through something similar. And that is the case of the Golden State Killer. When I was making this, it, a lot of emotions came up. And I was, I'm very excited to report that he is gone away forever. Um, so... 
if I'll wrap it up because we um, uh, that is over an hour. Um, uh, if you want to see the victims and some incredible photos of the survivors, you can follow us on Instagram at blood and guts pod. We are on Twitter at blood underscore guts pod. You can email us anything you want at blood guts pod at gmail.com. Would you like to make a PSA? Um, PSA, uh, men need to do better. Correct. Um, I, I don't know. If you ride a bicycle, don't. Okay. <laughs> what? Do you have anything to add? <laughs> I'm like, are, they, are we just canceling bicycles? Zip it up. God, peanut gallery over there. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, PSA women are amazing correct and i will not hesitate to shoot a man off his bicycle should he be so deserving (laughs) i mean okay bye everyone (laughs) hi